0: of the China Path podcast. I'm James Scullin from the Australia China Business Council. While Chafter has certainly opened up doors and increased the opportunities for Australian businesses, the sheer size and enormity of the China market can be quite daunting for Australian exporters. How do I get started? What city is best for my product? How do I reach my target market? What's my product's point of difference? Who can provide me with support on the ground in China? These are all familiar questions of exporters looking to understand the China market better and tailor their export strategy accordingly. In this episode, we talk to Matthew McKenzie of The Export Group to address some of these questions and offer advice to exporters. Matthew is China CEO and co-founder of The Export Group and is based in Shanghai. He has close to 20 years' experience working with iconic brands such as Tin Tam and Wheatbix and led the Wheatbix growth in China until late 2016. The export group currently represents a number of Australian and international brands in China and are the exclusive partner for PZ Cousins for Morning Fresh, Rafferty's Garden and Original Source Brands. The export group is also working with SPC Ardmona to launch the Goulburn Valley and IXL ranges in China in 2018 and are currently representing Slim Secret and Slip Silk. I hope you enjoy my chat with Matthew. today with Matthew McKenzie from the export group thanks for joining us today Matthew That's my pleasure James so would you mind telling us Matthew what is the export group and and what does it do for businesses here in China sure we're
1: we're a business on the ground here in China uh, an Australian business that works with a number of um, large medium and small companies primarily in the food and beverage um, health and beauty and mother and baby uh, space yeah Um, you know a lot of companies looking at China uh, trying to sell their products um, I guess our key role is really to, to assist them in, in, in working through the processes, um, identifying and managing their partners on the ground, and opening up you know channels, whether it be cross-border e-commerce, traditional e-commerce, or um, bricks and mortar uh, oh. selling on the ground. Okay. And
0: how does a company know that it's ready for the China market? Oh,
1: look, I think it's a, it's it's really company dependent. However, um, you know, people really need to come up here and, and spend some time on the ground. Um, have a look at the market, do some, do some initial research um, into the market. Is there an opportunity for my product? If there is an opportunity for my product, does it financially work? Um, what, would the, what would the business model actually look like? Um, you know, so I think a lot of this kind of background work needs to be done before companies can really you know hand on heart say, yep, I'm ready for China.
0: Mm. Um, does a company necessarily have to be successful domestically in Australia before exporting to China, or do you think they can leapfrog and... Export directly to China.
1: Look, not necessarily. They don't need to have been successful in Australia. However, I think that having been successful in Australia certainly helps helps on the journey up here in China. And the reason for that is um, Chinese consumers, Chinese business partners here are really looking for credible businesses from Australia to work with. Um, so obviously, a, a track record of success back home make, makes a lot of sense um, up here. Plus, you know the. The complexity of doing business here in China from Australia is, is obviously harder than doing it back home. So, you know, I, I would always recommend that companies look to try to be, or at least have some form of success in Australia before venturing into China too hard.
0: Mm, okay. Um, what about being based in China like yourself? What, what advantages does it have being in market here?
1: Oh, look, there are a number of advantages. I mean, China is is an ever evolving and very, you know, continuously changing market environment. So being here on the ground, both as a business person but also as a consumer, you know, I get to see the competitive environment, I I get to understand what's happening, I get to empathise more with the consumer and and, and I guess understand what the consumer is looking for. Secondly, um, because we're here and we're we're available, Chinese businesses take us a lot more seriously. Um, They they can see that we're committed to China, we've, you know, put offices down up here, we've got, you know, a a building, uh, a larger team up here on the ground, so I guess that... um, you know, rather than flying in and flying out um, and meeting people once a quarter, you know, we're here day in, day out. Furthermore, companies up here know that if there's a problem, we'll fix it. Mm. Uh, we're accountable. Um, and I think that, that that certainly helps us to, to drive business a lot more uh, a lot
0: more than if we were based in Australia. Okay. So, so you mentioned, you know, China's obviously a competitive market. Yep. Do you get a sense of the entire world being here in Shanghai competing for the same space? And... And how do you feel Australia stands out compared to those other countries here?
1: Oh, look, that's a great question. And, and I think a lot of people, when they first come to China, are quite surprised at just how competitive the marketplace is. Um, and if I talk about Australia specifically, you know, a lot of people that I speak to back at home talk about Australia being clean and green. Mm. But when you think about it up here from a, from a Chinese consumer's perspective, well... New Zealand is, is, is clean and green. Norway is clean and green. You know, the United States is clean and green. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if you walk into a high-end supermarket here and, and look at pretty much any category, you'll find a significantly broader array of brands and, and options than what you would find in downtown Melbourne or Sydney. So I think, you know, really, really understanding that it is a very competitive marketplace um, and, and that the whole world is looking at China. I mean, more than 100 countries uh, around the world have you know China is their largest export destination yeah. so you know this is really the center of the universe uh, when it comes to to competitive forces
0: do you feel Chinese consumers can identify an Australian good being unique to a good from New Zealand or is it just seen as a Western good well I
1: think it's really again category specific yeah. um, so if I if I if I look at it from a Chinese consumers perspective um, you know Australia is very very well renowned for its for its beef, uh, for, for its wine, um, and also for tourism. Tourism is becoming a very large, yeah. you know, obviously, export, export product. Yep. Um, however, if I was to sit down with a consumer and, and, and talk to them through the, the differences between, say, a New Zealand wine, a Californian wine, and an Australian wine, you know, obviously at the, at the sophisticated end of the market, the consumer would, 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 would know. Yep. But I think at that, at that sort of, um, at that, you know, that burgeoning sort of middle class I don't think there's as much knowledge as sometimes we may, we may feel. Um, and that's why it's really important to you know, be continuously communicating with the consumer, be continuously pushing that brand message, and, and not, not just necessarily in the social media space, but also here physically on the ground. Mm. Um, if, if we take wine as an example, you, you, know, you want to be doing wine tastings, you want to be having you know, the, the winemaker come up here and, and educate, you want to be doing events, you want to be partnering with hotels, you want to be partnering with retailers, e-commerce players, etc to really sell
0: that sort of three-dimensional,
1: um, that three-dimensional story.
0: So because Shanghai and eastern China is so much more modernised than central China or western China, and it is so competitive here, yep. d- do you think it's better for businesses to maybe decide to have a look west or in central China for their dipping the toes into the China export market? Or do you think that because Shanghai is so developed and so much more middle class and affluent, that it has the appropriate tastes for Australian products? Look, again, I think it, it comes down...
1: It's, it, again, it's case-specific. Yeah. Um, but even if we just look at eastern China and we, we take a sort of a two-hour fast train arc around Shanghai, mm. you've got cities like Ningbo, the um, sixth largest port in the world, huge trading city... Um, You've got Nanjing, which is an hour away on the fast train. 8.2 million consumers growing, the economy growing double digit. Yeah. You've got Suzhou, you've got Hangzhou, which is, you know, everyone knows Hangzhou because of what Jack Ma's created down there and the whole sort of e-commerce boom. Yeah. All these cities are, you know, are larger than Sydney and Melbourne in their own right. Mm. All of these cities have a, a significant uh, middle class and a very fast growing middle class. However, what they don't have is as much attention from international brands as what you see in Shanghai. Every, Shanghai is the softest landing when you come to China, okay. um, but it is therefore the most competitive marketplace. So I would certainly encourage uh, companies to, 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 to venture out a little bit further and, have, and you're certainly going to get a bigger, shout, a bigger share of shout out in these, in these marketplaces. And you could well actually create a stronger uh, connection with the consumer. Also looking at a Western China where, you know, places like Chengdu, Chongqing, etc. Um, particularly with the improvements in infrastructure, a lot more accessible now to Australian exporters. Um, and again, these cities are, you know, they're huge, uh, the economies are growing double digit um, and there is an insatiable appetite and interest in international brands. And for Australian companies
0: um, that are serious about China, that's definitely one angle to look at. Okay. Um, what about CHAFSA, the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement? Um, what effect has this had on um, your clients here in Shanghai? In it's been really interesting. Um, a
1: lot of There's been a lot of awareness, well, there is a lot of awareness here on the ground with importers. Okay. Um, so, say, for example, if I'm speaking with, with clients here on the ground um, <coughs> and we're looking at, at different options um, of products, it, they, they quite often do request... Uh, Australian product over, for example, a a product from Europe. So both products are quite similarly priced. Um, However, there is a strong awareness that either it's tariff-free or that the tariffs are ratcheting down uh, until 2019. So there's a desire for a Chinese business to want to do business with Australian companies for that reason.
0: What about from the consumer perspective? Does the consumer see Chapter as the Chinese government's seal of approval that Australia is a country that China wants to do business with and we have a close relationship now that rather than just the tariff reductions, China and Australia are becoming closer and, you know, CHAPTER is a landmark agreement between both countries. Sure. Is, is this reflected in the consumers having more trust about Australian products?
1: Look, I think that there's been intrinsic trust in Australian products for a very long time and well before CHAPTER came into mm. being. I think that, um, from what I observe on the ground up here, There's not a huge awareness of, you know, the free trade agreement between China and and Australia. And probably one of the reasons for that is that, you know, China is doing so many different agreements with so many parts of the world all the time. Yeah. Um, So I don't know that it's necessarily had an added benefit there. However, what it has done is made, you know, importers, retailers far more interested in stocking Australian goods and in supporting Australian brands um, which will then ultimately continue to build that trust and build on that, that presence for, for Chinese consumers. Yeah.
0: Australia does have premium products that are more towards the high end of the China market. Yep. Do Chinese consumers have a willingness to pay more for that, for that quality from Australia? Look, absolutely.
1: And particularly once they trust a brand, um, you know, it's, it's, they're really looking for um, made in Australia, so that gives it a very large tick of approval, then, if on top of that it's it's from a trusted brand or it's from a brand where there's a, there's a there's a good story, um, you know, it's certain that they are prepared to pay a premium. It's also interesting. We've observed a lot over the last couple of years, with the increase, I guess, in social media, the increase in and all the you know the, the increase in communications um, over around the world mm-hmm. and the diaspora of a lot of Chinese people, a lot of so many Chinese students sp- spending time in Australia. What we've observed up here is that a lot of people now. Before they buy a brand, they'll actually check with it, whether it be their cousin or the next door neighbour who's got a daughter studying in Melbourne. Um, they will actually check, oh, is this a real brand? And they'll check the validity of that story, oh, right. um, yeah. which, is, which has been quite an interesting phenomenon.
0: Yeah, The China market is ever-changing with sudden changes in regulation, varying interpretations of export certificates, um, each port having their own approach to import approvals. How can business deal with this unpredictability of exporting to China? Well, I think that um,
1: if, if you look at... Uh, before I answer that question, if you have a look mm. at the modern history of China, there's been so much upheaval and change in this country over the last 50 years. Um, yeah. It's been quite phenomenal. And the changes that we're seeing on the ground here on a you know, day-in, day-out basis it, are really sort of part of the course for, for the Chinese people. I guess for any company that's entering the market from Australia... You know obviously they're immediately exposed to exchange rate fluctuations the changes in in, um, in, in interpretation of documentation
0: yeah
1: um, they're exposing themselves now to a, a broader community of competitors or sure. supply and demand absolutely so I, I really feel that um, that companies need to do their homework mm. it's, it's really important to do your homework um, one of the most important things is, is spending time on the ground up here and finding partners that you're comfortable with okay. you can't go it alone um, you, it's it's really important that you have support on the ground um, in China that can help you navigate through those fluctuations in, in um, or challenges shall we say mm. um, and that, that's the reality of doing business in China you know there's a lot of Australian businesses that have been very very successful up here uh, and there's a lot more that haven't entered the market that I'm sure will be successful in the future uh, in dealing through that challenge.
0: How can a company best make acquaintance with Chinese partners? Oh, they what they do is they engage the export group, um,
1: and uh, we can help them with that. Otherwise, um, you know there are a lot of services on the ground up here. So whether it be the AusTrade, uh, Austrade team on the ground up here, um, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of solid connections, and they're they're in multiple cities now around China. Um, also. You know, coming up on delegations, um, perhaps the the Australia Week in China, um, which I think will be back on again next year. Obviously, there's an opportunity to come up, have a look at the market, meet with a number of partners, get comfortable with partners, etc. I would also recommend that when you're on the ground here, always go and try to spend time at the partner's office or have a look at their facilities, have a look at their warehousing, etc., Um, And really try to get a deeper understanding of of what they're all about. Invite them out to your business to spend time in Australia to really understand the core essence of of what you're doing and what you're trying to build in China. Mm. Um, And then look for that, what I call that sort of cultural connection. And I'm not talking about an Australia-China culture. I'm really talking about a a person-to-person business culture. When you share that um, same sort of cultural DNA, uh, then then you know you've found probably the right partner.
0: So you mentioned um, Austrade and uh, Australia week here in Shanghai. Yep, Australia does have a pretty extensive support network in China. How does that compare to other countries?
1: Well, a lot of a lot of countries have very big presences okay. here in China, and you know if you look at if you look at Beijing, there are more um, embassies in Beijing than any city in the world. So pretty much every country has a presence here. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the um, the trade side of things, most of the key competitors to Australia do have pretty significant operations uh, and capability here on the ground. So Australia is is not unique in in the support that it provides its exporters here.
0: Okay. So as someone who works with a a variety of Australian clients, what do you think the Australian government could do on the government-to-government level to make life easier for your clients here in China? Well, I think, you know, we
1: find, particularly with food items, uh, you know, we find a number of challenges. For example, um, you know, the, the... Claims on packaging. So, for example, gluten free or uh, free from, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. These kind of claims um, are not acceptable uh, under Chinese regulations. Uh, so, I think if, if there could sort of be a bilateral agreement that um, certain things which aren't necessarily impacting the product and not necessarily impacting the, 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 the consumer here at all, if there could be a co recognition of those um, okay. kind of regulations, I think that could be quite helpful. Um, and I think and things such as organic status. Um, there's a lot of brilliant companies down in Australia that have created wonderful organic products. Um, and to get those that organic status recognized here in China is, is a very challenging process. And, and I know that the Australian government's working you know, very hard with their counterparts here in, in China. Um, and you know, I would encourage them to continue on that path because, you know, Australia does have some great products and, and if we can get through those regulations and, and get a very strong understanding, you know, bilateral understanding between the two countries and continue on that relationship, then I'm sure it will open up more opportunities for Australian exporters.
0: Do you not think that the Australian brand of, of being clean and green and fresh, does it really need that organic seal of approval? Like does the fact that it comes from Australia, is that is it naive to assume that that's enough? Like you, you, do need that certified organic stamp.
1: The way the way that I look at it is, at this point in time, you probably don't necessarily need that organic stamp of approval. However, the first time I came to China was nineteen ninety seven, and if I have a look at, at what's happened over the last twenty years in China, it, it's quite phenomenal. I mean, in nineteen ninety seven, Alibaba didn't exist. Mm. Um, there were, you know. I remember. I remember purchasing a can of Coke, and it went through about four sets of hands and yeah. different chop documents oh, and wooden yeah. boxes. And the can, the can of Coke, was warm <laughs> before I before I received it. Whereas yeah. now, I can just I can just scan my WeChat Pay and, and, and walk out the door without actually t- speaking to anybody. Yeah. Um. So, what what I see is that this market will become more sophisticated over mm-hmm. time, and it it will become more and more important to differentiate. Uh, product offering as the consumer becomes more aware Mm -hmm. and as the consumer becomes more sophisticated so it may not be mission critical here and now for some Businesses, but I think in the future. It's definitely something that we want to have um, The ability to be able to claim from Australia.
0: Okay, Um, what about uh, cross-border e-commerce? Is this something that you recommend to all your clients or is it something that It's only suitable for some brands or you know some business size. Cross-border e-commerce is an interesting one because it, it it still is only a pilot program here in China.
1: Okay, um, yeah. And by pilot program, that means that it's it's a trial program, and the government has at, at their will any, at any time they can they can actually shut that down. So cross-border e-commerce is highly recommended for those companies that can't actually legally import their products into China. Uh, products such as you know medicinal you know products that have medicinal um, properties, such as uh, health supplements. Uh, products that, that have uh, organic claims, etc., that you know, it's it's not impossible to import it into bricks and mortar stores. If you can get it into cross-border e-commerce and, and you support it uh, in that channel, you can actually um, have your brand exposed to the Chinese consumer. Whilst in the in the background, hopefully regulations are being uh, are being loosened up so that at some point in time you'll be able to get into bricks and mortar. So okay. we encourage uh, companies to embrace the opportunity at the moment. Um, do need to be very careful because obviously it's a lower tax environment. Um, there's you know you pay 70% of the VAT. Um, you pay no import tax if 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 it's a taxable item. Um, so you've got to be very careful with your with your costing models because at some point in time if you do come into bricks and mortar or if you do have your product already in bricks and mortar, you don't want to you don't want to obviously have two price points for the same products. Okay, um, yeah. there, there are a few things you need to be careful and aware of. Um, but for those, particularly those products that, that haven't got an easy route into China legally, cross-border e-commerce is the way to go.
0: There's also so many types of e-commerce channels going into China. Australia Post has their own Tmall sign. Yes. Do you think this is the best way for a company that's putting their toes in the Chinese market by going through that Tmall website? Is that... A good way to have that first taste of doing business with China? Look, look it definitely
1: can be. Um, but if, if I was to look at, for example, mother and baby product. Okay. So let's say, for example, a company in Australia that's making um, creams, creams for babies. Um, you know, they're probably, it definitely definitely get involved in the in Timor the site. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely get involved with Australia Post. However, I would also encourage them to to take a a bit of a broader look at some of the mother and baby specific uh, websites and channels that have now started to open up. So as e-commerce, I guess, has evolved so quickly here in China, what we've observed is that there are now a number of specialty sites that are focused more specifically in different categories. Right. So a lot of mothers now uh, here in China are going to some of these more specialized sites and doing a lot of research um, and and understanding, you know, getting a, a solid understanding for a brand and for a product. So I think, you know, if I was selling baby cream, I'd be looking at some of those apps and um, and websites here, in conjunction with a strategy on uh, say an Australia Post uh, team site. Oh right, that's
0: interesting. So there's in individual market approaches. Yep. Online.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at the look at the e-commerce environment as like a Westfield shopping mall. Yeah. So if I go shopping at, at Westfield. Um, am I going to go and buy all of my products in, in one store? Well, probably not. So if, I, if I'm looking for, you know, if I'm looking for a medicinal product, I'm probably going to go to a chemist and if I may, may actually speak to a chemist and get a little bit more advice then, than just heading into a supermarket and, and picking up the product there. Uh, likewise, if I'm if I'm looking for um, you know I've got a friend friends coming over for a barbecue, I want to go and buy some nice meat. I'm probably going to go to the butcher, speak to him, get some advice, and, and he mm. might even give me some cooking tips, etc. Yeah, which I'm unlikely to get in in a in a, in another type of store that has meat along with other things. Okay. So, I think it's a you've got to really look at the environment up here in the e-commerce space as sort of that Westfield. And then as a consumer, the consumers now have started to work out, well, if I go here, I get a little bit more advice, I've got more choice, I get more information, great service, et cetera.
0: Um, Austrade have their export market development grants um, that give businesses up to a 50% rebate on their marketing strategy in China. From your experience, is this something that Australian businesses use for their e-commerce strategy or setting up a website or developing that social network marketing? Look, I haven't got any specific
1: examples of that. However, I would suggest that a lot of them are doing that. Yeah. And, and if they're not, I would strongly encourage them to have a look at the EMDG. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic program. Mm. Um, and it, it can make a significant impact on, you know, small to medium-sized businesses and really give them a lot more um, a lot more capacity to, to really promote their products up here in China. Mm. Okay, great.
0: Well, there's a lot of um, businesses in Australia that view China as obviously a lucrative market, but are apprehensive about the risk of going into China. What's the best way for business to make their first approaches to China? What would be your advice to a company that has always thought about doing business with China, but is, is, is apprehensive and, and worried about it? Well, there's a number of, there's a number of ways
1: that, that people and companies can go about that. Firstly, I would recommend that they speak to other companies, not necessarily competitors, but other companies and, and friends in their network that are doing business in China, and, and get some advice and, and understand that understand from their perspective um, how they've gone about things and, and the successes and the failures, etc. Yeah, I think also tapping into the networks up here. You know, the Austrade, Trade, whether it be Australian Chamber, whether it be companies like mine. Yeah. Um, etc. Tap tap into that network. Come and spend some time up here. Um, and I would always encourage um, companies to, to not just look at the upside opportunity, but but really try to understand well what are the processes and steps and that I need to take in order to get my product to the consumer in in a viable, you know, cost-effective way. Um, you know, we've all made mistakes in China. Um, I've I've made plenty of mistakes. I've learned from those. Hopefully, yeah. um, And it's it's not an easy place. Um, however, what I what I do uh, what I do see up here is that the good work that the Chinese government is doing in terms of um, having their regulatory controls, they are enforcing those. Um, so if you can actually work through those and you get a, you build a brand, you've got a defendable position up here. Mm. Um, so I would strongly encourage them to do that. The other thing that I would encourage all companies to do before they even consider entering the market is get their IP checked okay. and protected. Um, we've seen a number of cases up here where um, brands unfortunately haven't gone to register their, their trademarks or their IP um, and they've found that there's a squatter sitting on that and then that becomes a negotiation with them which can be quite uh, quite expensive. So before before you know focusing too much effort and energy and spending too much time or money up here, I'll definitely look at that process as well. And it's it's not very expensive to get your IP or your brand names protected up here. Mm,
0: okay, fantastic. All right, well Matthew, thanks a lot for your time today. It's my pleasure, James. Thank you. Cheers. For more information about The Export Group, please visit www.theexportgroup.co or you can find out more information from this episode's show notes at www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts. You can also visit our podcast page to reach us if there's any aspect on chapter or doing business with China you'd like us to cover on this show. There's a comments box where you can reach us to submit any requests. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by searching for China Path Podcast on the iTunes Store to listen to past episodes and stay up to date on forthcoming ones. Until next time, 再见!